Hi, this is Dave Denton of Dave's Voice Works and Radio Guy Reflections and TurnbuckleTrash.net. Two great podcasts, one about professional wrestling and one about radio. And it's all on Anchor. Now, if you haven't heard about Anchor, here's a great way to make a podcast. Use Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast because, hey, it's free. And they give all the creation tools that allow you to record and edit any podcast you'd like to do right from your computer. Use Anchor. Anchor, the best way to podcast and the best way to listen to Turnbuckle Trash or Radio Guy Reflections. The year 2021 has been another difficult year for everyone. For me personally, it seems like 2020 had an extended warranty and spilled over into 2021. I was let go from my job at the end of January and decided to go into retirement, which I've really enjoyed, mostly. In March, a series of medical issues dominated the rest of the year, but I was blessed to be able to find time to continue with Radio Guy Reflections. And as we close out this year, I want to take a look back with some highlights from each of the podcasts, which included old friends and new friends, as we explored how a job in radio has led to different career paths, like an attorney in Las Vegas, a couple of small business consultants, TV news anchors, talk show hosts, sportscasting, syndicated radio shows, and voice work. And along the way, we discovered more about the people who have been there their individual struggles, their uplifting stories. It's been a great experience to catch up with old friends and to make a few new ones too. It's time to look back at a couple of the podcasts we had during the year of 2021. We're gonna talk with the nationally syndicated program Daily Beetle Break host, Dave Marino. We'll talk about his days in radio and now working in syndication and also in voice work around the nation. Then we'll talk to a husband and wife morning team from Clovis, New Mexico. They join us to talk about the stresses and joys of working together and also the stresses of raising an autistic child. Welcome back to Radio Guy Reflections. Dave Marino was born in Walton Hospital in Liverpool, England on 28 July 1942 and was raised in a flat at 18 Newcastle Road. Dave met John Lennon at the St. Peter's Church Hall Fete in Walton, 6 July 1957. Dave was asked to join the band that day after he played John his rendition of Rocket 88. The boys were mop-toppy in those early years, thanks to Dave's new lack of caring how he looked hairstyle. The band had a lot of fun in those early days. Maybe too much fun. And then... America and photo ops galore. The states just couldn't get enough of these lads from Liverpool. And then the world stopped. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. 9 February 1964. The Beatles, with their Edwardian suits and mop top haircuts, made their first American television appearance live on the Ed Sullivan Show. Next came the movies. 
Dave had an uncanny way of scaring some of the band while making the others laugh. Ringo said Dave was a real cut-up. After years of international success, the band let themselves go just a bit, not caring how they looked. And this frustrated Dave enough to quit. This is the last known picture of Dave with the band. No one is really sure of his whereabouts, which is the way he wanted it to be. Dave Marino, welcome to Radio Guy Reflections. Dave. Woohoo! All the excitement, <laughs> the excitement. <laughs> How and when did you get into the crazy world of radio broadcasting? When I was young, our big top 40 station in town was called WHOT. And I just happened to live right down the street from the guy who was the program director and one of the morning show guys and things like that. And his son and I were the same age and we kind of grew up together. So when we were little, he would bring us up to this station, you know, every once in a while I'd get to go and I'd be like, wow, the radio, you know, we were seven, eight, nine years old. The records that they used to get rid of, uh -huh. they used to go like, and these 45s and albums would just pop in to my life. So my buddy would come up and we'd listen on the old um, suitcase uh, record player. Uh-huh. And, you know, so the first things I remember in, you know, secular music, because in our house, we used to listen to gospel music all the time. So all of a sudden, the Beatles and the Beach Boys start to come in and they're coming in in droves. So the Beach Boys and the Beatles have always been a fascination of mine, uh, even more so the Beatles, because they are the best. Uh, fast forward, my high school sweetheart and I were been going out about seven years. So I was like 23, 24 years old. So I decided, well, I guess you got to get engaged. Long story short, I got into radio and, and not married. But, <laughs> you know, I ended up getting into it. I didn't mean to do it because it wasn't supposed to be something I was trained in or I didn't, you know, I didn't understand. When I got engaged that night, I went out, I gave her the ring and I left. Like, I, I almost said, like, what did you just do? And I went to the darkest corner of this bar that I went to. I was getting a little schnockered in the corner. And so there were our, our TV news, one of our TV news anchors, if the news was over at 1130, he was in the bar at 1133. And that's no joke. And so he comes and he sits down right next to me. I'd never had a conversation. And so I told him, I said, you know, I just got engaged, but I'm thinking about doing radio, but I'm a concrete guy. What do I put on a resume? And he said, well, he said, you seem like a well-spoken guy. Why can't you do this? And I said, I don't know. He said, just put on your resume, your concrete finisher and say, you know, you can teach me how to run a board. I think I can do this. And I went out the next day and um, <laughs> this is wild. Walk in. It's a, it's a trailer. And, you remember Flo from Alice? Uh-huh. The Kiss My Grits. Kiss My Grits. <laughs> I walk in and, yeah, she was she had a bouffant red kind of hair and all this stuff and uh, smoking a cigarette. And now here's how small the place was. She picked up the phone and she got his, you know, extension. Send him in. <laughs> like, you didn't even need to pick up the phone. You could have just said it out loud. I go in and I remember the guy's name was Bob Kerr's Markey. And he had the biggest ashtray I'd ever seen in my life. Probably 12 <laughs> by 12 like a foot by a foot and it was piled high but he said that he was looking for a guy to help him with a saturday morning auction program i guess you call it and bid on things and so literally the next day after talking to that guy he goes come on in tomorrow it was a friday he goes come in tomorrow morning or whatever and we'll do it I went, really so i got i got in mm -hmm. that was it 
so that was kind of next day I started in radio and, uh, and, and within days, in fact, he, we were sitting there getting ready to go on and he said, just watch me this week. And then next week we will bring you on. He doesn't get five seconds into the thing. And he's like, Hey, let's, and, and, you know, let's uh, welcome our new guy, super Dave. And he called me super Dave. And that ended up sticking with me my entire career in Youngstown. And um, he, I ended up getting the auction program and all of that stuff, everything real quick and real fast. And I, I just kind of got into radio, kind of fell into it. the owner of the FM out in Mercer, Pennsylvania. He was an old man and I had become friends with the program director out there. The old man did not like me at all. Uh-huh. Did not like I never met him. He just didn't like, me. he's, he's getting ready from what I understood to sell the station. So some guys were coming for a meeting. And so I, I'm getting firsthand, you know, from my, my buddy. The guys get there and they're like, who do you have on the AM? Like, what is going on over? Oh, you know, I'm really sorry about that. They're like, this guy's hilarious. Again, one of these stories where, hey, it seems like it's going to go in my favor. Well, he puts the clamp down on me and says, no more carousel. And you would have thought, and I knew this was when I was going to set my path of what I was going to be in radio. Because it was in no uncertain terms, do not run the carousel anymore. That's not. Well, I remember the first show after that, that a guy calls in and he wins a bid on an auction and he says hey um you know where's the carousel and now here's where i started down the wrong path <laughs> i said you know i'm not allowed to play it anymore. i said it out on the air uh-huh. like, in my head i was thinking i was johnny fever that was where i my that was my mindset and then i said you know what screw that <laughs> and i played it that ended up being the death knell for me the, the owner actually called me Mm-hmm. And um, so I went from King, like this guy's really funny, like this guy's great, you got to get him on, to I within a week or two, just being fired. He called me and said, you know, so I got fired the first time from a little station, and I cried that day. It was, I... it was a tough, it was a tough day. Have you ever had that? Oh yeah, just recently. <laughs> <laughs> Back in January, I was doing some crying at sixty-three years old, man. <laughs> I. I I was okay with it though, because it's like, I'm never, okay, I'm out of radio. I'll never get back in. In the, in the meantime, while I was still working there, they used to ask me to come. He and his brother did a show called network Saturday night. Like it was a Christian station, but they would do like funny stuff, skits and things. Mm-hmm. We drive out there and we record this show. So I started to get into bits and parody songs and kind of, it was really like old style radio coming back again. Yeah. And I've always loved that, you know, the characters and the parody songs and, all of that. So I, I learned a little bit of that and kind of got a taste for it. After I got fired, we still stayed in touch because he eventually got fired. And, but he knew a guy that did like weddings and DJing stuff like that. And do you want to go and do weddings with us and things like that? So even though I was out of radio, I thought I was done. Um, I stayed with him and we became friends and then karaoke came along and this guy ended up buying a couple karaoke sets and it was traveled all around town doing these shows. And we were packing them in on Monday nights. This guy was sitting in the audience when I was just spinning records and he came up and he goes, you know, we, we're starting this uh, classic rock station. I remember it's called 95 K rock. And I said, okay. And he goes, I think I've been here the last couple of weeks and I think you would be, a, you would fit well there. Yeah. So they just wanted me, but I called my buddy and I go, dude, we got to put a tape together. We've got to make this happen. You know, come on. I think we got the job only because we were laughing at our own stuff. They made us sit there and listen to the tape. And uh, so next thing I know, I'm a part-time guy with my partner now, who is now my partner, and we're doing this kind of show we want to do in the middle of um, Sunday afternoon. 
and I was like, wow, okay, well, so we're back on the air, and it was like 100,000 watt boomer. Oh. You know, it went into the Youngstown market. They put us on Sunday afternoon, like two to six, but it was right in the middle of football season. And I'm like, this is radio dead zone. Nobody's going to listen. Well, within 30 days, within four shows or three shows, we are the biggest listened to thing at that station. Big salespeople are like, Dave, what is going on here? Look at you guys. Look what you're doing. Well, they stick us in the morning show and we started to do some interesting stuff. We had talked a little bit about, you know, some of the celebrity that comes with it. I think that's a big part of stuff. Um, but I think you also have to love the thing. And I, I don't know that that's out there today. I but you made a point when you were talking about uh, with, the, with the owners that you were laughing at your own stuff. When I was doing my show, if I didn't think it was funny, I wasn't going to do it. If it didn't entertain me, I knew it wasn't going to entertain my audience. I knew I was on the right track then. <laughs> You've heard these announcers, you know, they get on there and they try to to crack these jokes, and then they get into their professional radio laugh going, <laughs> oh, oh, you're so funny, Annie. Oh. Hey, Nancy, Nancy, you're you're wonderful. You're so funny. <laughs> oh, you'll make no, my I, laugh. I, I know that. Yeah, and it just it, well, it see, doesn't come across. The reason I wanted to do it was, I said, you know, I'm not a stand-up. I'm not a whatever, but these people will let me go on the air and be nuts. Mm -hmm. You know, like I can, I can go be a little bit outside. Like I couldn't do it on Top 40 Station or Country Station. Uh, but this classic rock realm allowed us to be, and I mean, we, we did some stuff uh -huh. and like stuff I'm maybe not even proud of today. So we were always theater of the mind guys. Mm -hmm. See, I was a little bit different because the music was always secondary to me. I started to realize here's what we want to sound like. And here's what we want to do. And a lot of it was the theater of the mind. And it was kind of just old time radio. We wanted to make you feel like you were there. We wanted to make it sound like you were in the room, you know, that kind of stuff. What I did learn was this. If we thought it was funny enough to go on the air, what we would do, even if it was a, like my partner would go and call me from the other room as a character. It's like, Mr. Rogers. Mm -hmm. Go give me a Mr. Rogers on this news story. So he would go in the other room, blah, blah, blah. We'd run it back. But what I, what I decided was we have to carry this thing along. So when the guy would say something, it was already pre-taped, but we would laugh in the background and carry it. Right. And so what it did was cause, it's almost like a laugh track on TV. It tells you when to laugh. Mm -hmm. Like we, we were putting on a show. You never knew what was going to happen. I mean, half the time I didn't know either. I actually got hired away within months. Wow. The big rock station hired me away, but they wouldn't let me take him. So anyway, I remember going in the first day and I'm sitting there and they got some girl in the newsroom. I don't know, you know, and I'm like, hi, how you doing? Nice to see you. And I was terrible. I was terrible. And I didn't last long. But what they had done, they hired me away from him to fire me. It didn't matter if I was good or not because they wanted to split us up because we were making, we were making inroads real yep. fast. That happens. And I got, my success has always been my demise. Every time I get a leg up like, hey, man, you're going to go huge. I'm fired. It's the exact opposite. So I haven't had a real good run with that in my career, but <clears throat> I get fired a lot. <laughs> <laughs> in 94, I think it was right around Tom Petty's Wildflowers album came out because I called one of the girls from that station that fired me years, you know, years later. And she's like, Dave, there we are looking for part-time people like right now. Call this guy. And I'm like, that guy fired me. He doesn't want, Dave, call him right now. I'm going to tell him you're calling, call him. We need you. And he said, when can you be here? And I said, when do you want me there? Said, right now. Then I brought my partner over part-time also. So I got him in the building. Funny, the guy that the guy that fired me was doing afternoon drives. He's, he ends up getting fired for like embezzlement or something. He's a really crummy guy. We said, hey, you remember the Super Dave and Dana show? Why don't we do that in the afternoons? 
And that started the big, what I would consider my biggest show at that time. Like we just took over the city. We used to have radio shows uh, like you were doing. And now they just say a radio show just needs to be the morning show. And the rest of the time it's, you know, that was, this is, that was, this is. And I think when you find somebody that is successful uh, outside of morning drive with their show is because they are allowed to do some things that actually attract people to that show. I think that sometimes what happens, though, is there is that group of people that, again, fancy themselves as funny. So there aren't too many people that actually, out of all those people that think they're hilarious, that actually break through. So I think the tendency is, yeah, you know what, just shut up and play the music. You know, I know it can work because if we're doing something entertaining or engaging or something, people will listen to this. When I, by the time I got fired a couple of years later, we had, we were at 13. Wow. We had a 13 share, 3 to 7 in the afternoon on a, on a station that barely even bled into Youngstown. Wow. We were kind of at the top of our game, and a consultant came in and said, hey, move these guys uh, to morning, that we were going to put these two shows together. And I was I remember going to – and the next thing, it's like, here, morph in with these other two. And I'm like, I don't want to. This is not – we're not – no. Long story again short, within about three months, I'm gone. I was supposed mm-hmm. to be the big guy, and I end up out. Program directors, I contend, are like teachers, you know, not, not to take a shot at teachers, but those are people who couldn't make it in the field that they teach. Mm-hmm. So they teach. The listenership and the ratings were all saying, talk and be funny, entertain us. And all my bosses were always saying, shut up, shut up, shut mm-hmm. up. All right. Well, you know what I always said about a boss? You know, th- this is, this is when, when I, I talk about a boss, I always say, a boss is just a sorry SOB spelled backwards. Uh, so I. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a cousin that's an entertainer. And he asked me to come down to Atlanta. So I spent a week and I was leaving and he said, hey, you know, if you want to make a run here, Dave, we could probably make this work. In the meantime, everybody was saying, Dave, you can't make it in Youngstown. How are you going to make it in Atlanta? I don't know. But I think I know. I'm like, I want to do this. Here's what I told people. Like, if I'm going to fail, let's fail big. And that was my logic. Started part time at a station called Z93. And so I kind of took to the town and it kind of invited me and I feel. But it's easy to commiserate about radio, and I don't necessarily want to do that because, like, I love it. I just wish it were different now. I wish that we could get back to, you know, privately owned stations that made their own decisions and weren't all the clusters and, you know, could have a talent pool. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a big town. I remember the first time. I hadn't cracked the mic since March, and it was October. They put me on 7 to midnight to fill in for somebody. And it was probably the shortest break in radio. Like, there's... Latest, latest Z93, there's Boston. I'm Dave Marino. We'll be back after this, right? But I was so scared. I remember looking at the countdown on the CD player. And it's like, I got to talk after this song. There's no more. I can't push it off anymore. I'm going to have to talk. And I remember 12, 11, 10, 9. And I'm like, why are you doing this to yourself? Don't do this. Quit. You know. And I did it, and I kind of got back into it. But scared. When I was doing the morning show, I finally got the morning show at Z93. And I was like, okay, this is great, you know. The nice thing about a big market a lot of times is you didn't do a lot of phone interviews. People were in town for stuff. They'd come into the station, right. you know, so you'd actually meet these folks, you know, like I had Bruce Willis in the studio, you know, oh, cool. yeah. somewhere around Mother's Day of 2002. Um, I was down in Naples, Florida, fishing with like a advertiser, you know, like I now get a call from the producer kid. I'm like, Dave, hey, man, it happened. I'm like, what? Because I was doing this thing called a... a Breakfast Beatles or something, where they uh-huh. I played like three Beatles songs in a row, right? Every morning, and I, you know, I'd do a little trivia and stuff like that, and sound bites. And so he calls me and goes, 
we're, you're interviewing Paul McCartney. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I, I remember I yelled at him. Oh, no, I'm not. He's like, dude, this is huge. This is the biggest thing ever. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I was scared to death. Like, yeah. no, 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 no. Because I had held these guys to such esteem for so long that I said, if I meet Paul McCartney, plus I'm going to be so scared. But if he's a jerk, oh my goodness. So I didn't want to do it. But it was a Mother's Day show of 2002. And they brought me down underneath the bowels of it. And right above us at Phillips Arena at the time, there was a Hawks play, that he was doing his sound check right above us. Press guys like, hey, come on in here, help yourself to whatever you want. They had a whole buffet of everything. And uh, he'll be in in about 10 minutes. I drank a, drank a bottle of wine in about 10 or 12 minutes because I was, I was pounding. I was so scared. All right. And then the door opens. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. Oh. And he's standing. Yeah. Yeah. The sky <laughs> opened up. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, it's probably six or eight people. And there he is with a towel around his neck. Right. Uh -huh. And he's very small. He's very small. Like, remarkably small in the sense that I have to remark about how small he was. I actually stopped the interview about 20 to 25 minutes in because I thought I'm taking too much time now. Thanks, Paul. I stopped it. He, he was, he was so nice and so sweet and engaging and funny. And um, it was after September 11th was yeah, and then May. And he happened to be on the tarmac in New York when that was all going on. Oh, wow. I want to thank you first of all, because what after what happened after September 11th, I thought you did one of the most uh, generous things that I've ever seen anybody do. And I'm not sure, is it true you were on the tarmac in New York City? Yeah, we were, you know. We were, we were scheduled to go back to England. Heather had been in New York uh, the day before to receive an award for her charity work from Red Book Magazine. That had gone great, and she and 10 other women had got these awards. And um, had gone great, and we were just due to leave on the 11th. And we were at the airport JFK at quarter to nine, and um, the pilot just said, sorry, there's been a terrible accident in New York. And those of you on the right-hand side of the airplane will be able to see. And we saw one of the trade towers smoking live kind of thing. And, um, you know, immediately, like everyone else, I think we just thought, well, you know, it's, it's one of those things where somebody's died at the controls of a plane. As, as happened, you know, a year or so before, the guy had a heart attack and his plane just kept on flying across the States. I thought it was like that. I thought, oh, God, and it's just crashed in. But then pretty soon afterwards, Heather said, is, is, that, is the other one on fire? I said, no, I said, it wouldn't be, because it, they look close together from here, but they're far apart. And of course it was, so this shock wave went round, and the people on the plane knew, and the captain got on, they said, well, they've closed the airport, and we all started to know what had happened, you know. Shock ran through the country, the world, really. Um, so we just, you know, felt like a lot of other people, kind of hopeless and helpless. Uh, what can you do? So as we'd been going to go back to Europe to put together some concerts, uh, we just said, you know what, we've got to stay here, put it together here, because this is where people need the help. And we were very proud to do it. You know, it was something I'm really glad we did, because it really did help. Um, New Yorkers' spirits, and I think the rest of the country. And it helped us, too. You know, we had somewhere to put our feelings and some way to show our solidarity with the American people over this atrocity, you know, this attack on freedom. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I am a pacifist. I said, but if someone smacks me in the face, um, I might just be like, it's a smacking back, you know? 
And um, it's the way it has to be, you know. It's a very reasonable thing, I think. You've got to defend. I don't advocate going out and just taking over the world. I think if someone comes, like Hitler, attacked Britain, what should we have done? You know, just sort of lay down and go, okay, come on in. What should you guys go, okay, you're taking out the Twin Towers, you took out the Pentagon part of, and you know, this is, you'd, you'd start to spread anthrax. Oh, okay, we'll let you off this time. No way, an impossible situation, you know. Hi, this is Paul McCartney, and you're listening to Dave Marino, the fifth Beatle on Breakfast Beatles on Atlanta's Classic Rock. Did I say that? The fifth Beatle? Wait a minute, Dave. Come on. I told you. Yeah, he was so, but he was so sweet, Dave, and so nice, and he made it all worthwhile. Because had he been mean or not nice, I mean, it would have ruined the dream. Now you have this program that's called The Daily Beetle Break. And I remember when you first started sending out information. You are the first. The no, first. you are the first. You are the best. You are truly my hero. <laughs> and I'm telling you, like, if you don't know David Denton, you should know him. Because oh. I'm going to tell you this too, Dave. Your voice, you should be on the radio until you don't want to be. You've got one of the great voices, one of the great deliveries. And I'm, I'm not saying it to, to build you up too much. But you're that good. And you're such a sweet guy, and you actually made the Daily Beetle Break possible. You know, I'm an on-air guy. I'm not a businessman. I remember, I remember, get, I got a call. I was in Ohio visiting my family for a family reunion. You're like, I was about ready to quit it because I said, you know, I've sent out emails. I've tried to make some calls, but you know, this is not going to work. And I was with a buddy of mine, and I'm like, oh my gosh, my eyes got real big. He's like, what? I said, I got a Beetle Break in Logan, Utah. I was like, oh my gosh. I was, Dave, you would have thought I was like a little child. I was so excited. So before we go any further, I just want to let everybody know Dave Denton has a huge place in my heart. And um, whatever you want ever in this world, Dave, I will do it for you. Because you, you, you really made what I do now possible. Uh, that, that just means the world to me, Dave. You know, the Beatles are huge. and People want to know when they can find the Beatles, right? Right, because they transcend generation. And I think I remember hearing Paul McCartney years ago in the 90s or something. I think it was when Oasis, that band, came out somewhere uh -huh. time around there. They were, they were, you know, every band that came out from the knack to everybody was supposed to be the next Beatles. And, it, and he, he was in an interview and he said, we've been waiting for the next Beatles, you know, and he's, it just hasn't happened. And it won't. No, it's never going to happen. No. And so when people, people ask me, like, what's your favorite band? I say, well, you know, like, after, you mean after the Beatles? Because <laughs> they're in their own area. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if your favorite band is not the Beatles by default, you don't know music. They should have a different category with the Beatles. Because, like, if you look at the Bible in bookstores, the Bible, they had to take it off the best-selling list because it's always the best-selling book. So they have their own place. Now, I'm not comparing the Beatles. Again, I'm not going to do a John Lennon. Either. But the issue was the Bible is never on a, a list because nobody would ever get the number one spot. So the same way with the Beatles in a much smaller, different way, they have their own category in music. And then everybody else comes out. And... There's a substantial drop-off between them and the next band. Right. So after I got fired from this morning show in Atlanta, and I knew some guys at a sports talk station, they were like, hey, Dave, we need an imaging guy, you know, commercial production and imaging, both. And I was like, oh, I'm not really that good. I mean, I knew how to edit a lot of stuff and do commercials, but, you know, with the advent of all the, the digital stuff, I really didn't want to make that transition to. So... I got hired kind of for creativity because they knew I was kind of a, you know, I don't know what you'd call it, like a, a little bit of a lunatic. So they, like, he might be able to make this stuff funny or entertaining or image. So in the process, when I get hired at the sports talk station, a little AM sports talk, and 
I was sitting right next to the guy who did Star 94's imaging. His name is Paul Barr. And he was just the imaging guy. That's how good he was. They had just an imaging guy and just a commercial production. And he was really good. And he knew what he was doing. I didn't know it. Well, we became friends and he helped me get into the imaging side of it. Taught me, he said, Dave, use, use Pro Tools. Learn Pro Tools right now. I'm like, I can't even look at it. I don't know what I'm looking at. Dave, just shut up. I'll tell you. Come on, just get it. And uh, then he ends up setting me up with all this. Uh, now, let's tell people that might not know what Pro Tools is. It's, it's an audio software, oh. right? Yeah, I guess it's a DAW. Now, I don't know what a DAW is, but it's apparently a DAW. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like um, it's like Adobe Audition, uh, whatever they call that now. Yeah. Uh, it used to be cool at it. Um, and some people try to think of some of the different ones that are out there where you can kind of mix and, you know, do your editing. Right. And but he taught me all this stuff. And in the process, he and his buddies, because they were all imaging guys from around the country, they had like a little group. And they started this thing before anybody, anybody really did. They were one of the first guys out of the gate to do imaging services. And if you work at a radio station, you probably trade one out. And they have one called Short Bus Radio. So they, so in the process, he's telling me like, hey, this is building up right now. And, and you know, eventually I'm going to leave here and just do that. And I was like, really? Off of that? Really going to be able to? Well, that got me to thinking, what can I do to get out of here and do something on my own? And, and the only thing I could think of was, I know the Beatles. Well, let's just do a Beatles show. Well, you know, why can't we just talk about the Beatles every day and put sound clips and all that? So the idea was, why don't you do this and, and create your own path like they're doing? So that's how I got into it. I was watching a buddy of mine kind of take an idea with his friends that actually got him out of the out of day-to-day work in the thing because they just they took off on their own. And I always admired them for that. In fact, in fact I called my company number nine productions because I I always I was like, what do you call a company? But you know, you know, the number nine, revolution nine and all of that craziness you know some might say that the beatles are passe now you know it's like ah, nobody cares like sirius xm i mean they, they had to start the beatles channel a couple of years ago. right you know they because they never go out of style no no i i am i am a fan of the beatles and i told you before we started uh recording i'm gonna just go ahead and say it again i had a consultant come to the radio station uh, here in logan and he told me to my face and i'm running a classic hits mixed with, you know, more 60s oldies, that the Beatles and the Beach Boys were irrelevant. And I laughed in his face. And then they, they were the leading downloads on on uh, Spotify and all these different things. And, I mean, I had I was loaded for bear when I came to him. And the man looked me in the face and said, I never said the Beatles were irrelevant. Just a <laughs> bold-faced lie. <laughs> yes. So, 64... Um, is, you know, the Ed Sullivan show, February of 64. I think by 65, if I'm getting it right, they're already releasing like Rubber Soul. Right. You know what I mean? Which is, you know, drive my car and stuff. But the issue is, but it's always tough with them because there was British releases and then there was American releases and I don't want to get it. If you think about it, though, I was just listening to Ringo on the Beatles channel today, actually, in between songs, they were talking. And he said when Brian Epstein, I call him Epstein, some call him Epstein. When he came along, he said, hey, no more drinking and smoking on stage. He said, I want you guys to dress together. I want you to look a certain way. So he kind of pushed them in that mold. And it, it served them very well to be taken seriously and all of that. And that kind of set the pass, you know, paths for a lot of other bands after that. But the big key I've always contended is George Martin. George March, Martin's musicianship, his understanding of music, and he was doing the comedy stuff at EMI, Parlophone. 
when he gets the call, but he understood music. I think without without him, I don't know. They they might have just been Jerry and the pacemakers. Mm-hmm. You know, but that that thing he brought there, it made such a difference. It's hard to argue with their talent. Right. You know, these guys, they could write a song. When you hear like she was just 17, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I saw her standing there. That may be. If you're if you anybody afterwards, YouTube it or whatever, listen to the beginning of that song. It may be one of the great rock songs of all time. Mm-hmm. It just rocks. It and does. it's a great song. You know, some of this stuff gets lost because they're like, well, this is the bubblegum era and this is the whatever. And I'm like, you know, P.S. I Love You stands up, you know, like it's a pretty song, uh, you know, and then you get into the Michelle, Michelle's and the, you know, but they progress so fast to your point, you know, mm-hmm. that it was, it was kind of mind boggling. And then you get into a song like A Day in the Life. I mean, I love A Day in the Life. I just, that to me, musician wise is one of their better songs, just music wise. I love it. Oh, it's re- well, it's ridiculous. And that 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 last note, I think, goes on for like 62 seconds. Or right. Yeah. That, that last. And I, I forget. They had like seven pianos on that, mm-hmm. <laughs> just all hitting an E chord. And some of them were a little out of tune from another. They didn't yeah. tune them or anything. I, so they had seven of them. and They were all hitting this E. Just boom, sounds awesome, though. Yeah. The idea was if you let it go past the the piano chord at the end, you get into this weird thing where it goes. Never could see any other way. Never could see any other way. Never could see. And what was happening was it would hit the groove at the end of the thing with this little music thing. But when it hit the end of the groove, it would kick back and start it all over again. They kick back and go, never could see any other. Never could see any other. So in essence, the album never ended. Nobody had ever done something like that. So anyway, but I will say this. I've always contended if I had everything, if I had the best studios and the best players and the best, you know, producers and best whatever. If you don't come up with something good, then you're not really good at this. You know, they could call an oboe player at four in the morning, you know, from the Philharmonic and they'd show up, you know. And if you have that, it's a, you better put out some good music. Right. You, you know, otherwise, you know. But again, are they the greatest songwriting duo of all time? Yes, they have to. Mm-hmm. And when you really start to listen to a lot of this stuff, and years ago when I started, I was just listening to interview after interview, trying to find things, them talking about certain songs. And what I found out was that when people say, do you like Paul McCartney or do you like John Lennon? And somebody will say to me, well, I'm a, I'm a Lennon guy. I'm like, you shouldn't be. Hmm. Like, what are you talking? And I came up with this line, and people have argued with me, but I, Lennon is specific and McCartney is prolific. Mm-hmm. I think John Lennon ran out of ideas somewhere around 1968. If you listen to their music, I think he really kind of ran out. Mm-hmm. But McCartney was kicking in. You know what I mean? And then McCartney, you know, leaves there and ends up doing Wings for another. And the Wings were almost as big as a Beatle. Mm-hmm. So his catalog is much bigger and much more grandiose. McCartney is the greatest composer of all time. I mean, I'm talking Bach, Beethoven, all of it. And his body of work is extensive and it's huge. And Lennon, I think that's where some of the jealousy came from, was he he just couldn't keep up, you know, and Paul was very experiment, you know, experimental and stuff. And he wasn't always just crying all the time. (laughs) But I found John Lennon when I listen, when you listen to the interviews of these people, I I wonder what would have happened if Lennon had lived. But when you, when you listen to the interview, listen to the, the Jan Wenner interview from Rolling Stone, John Lennon, he is a mean person. He's not nice. You know, he's Mm. talking about love and all of this stuff. He's one of the meanest people. Just very cynical and, and sarcastic and mean. And I, 
the more I listened to him, the less I kind of cared for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm more of a Paul guy than Lennon, but my favorite Beatle, as far as his solo work, is actually Ringo Starr. I think because it's more entertaining. I mean, he's just an entertainer, you know? That's what Ringo Starr does. He's not a great singer, but what he does, he does very well. Listening to Ringo, it's hard to be sad when Ringo sings, you know? It's fun. Yeah. He was a great addition. I think when they picked him up and got rid of uh, Pete Best, but Ringo, from what they say, was just the best drummer that was out there. Who's the last Beatle to have a number one single after they broke up? I would say George Harrison. Yep, it's actually Ring. Uh, it's actually John Lennon. Oh, really? With woman? And it, it, no, no. It took until whatever gets you through the night. Oh, with Elton okay. John playing on that. Okay. And, um, uh, I keep on going. I tell people a lot of times about John Lennon's. Uh, all we are saying is give peace a chance. And if you watch the video of that, you see Tommy Smothers playing the guitar. And, oh yeah. Yeah, and I had the opportunity is. actually to interview Tommy Smothers one time. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. David Denton interviewing Tommy Smothers in three, two, one, Mark. Now, uh, you also were, were good friends with the late John Lennon, and you were, did, did you also perform on Give Peace a Chance, too? Yes, play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny, Dave, because it was, I think it was in 1970, and uh, the bed in for peace in, in, in Montreal, and they asked me if I'd like to come up there because it was I was kind of controversial too in the anti-war position. So I went up there and they handed me a guitar and and he had these big cue cards. Uh, All we are saying, give me. And I was playing away and and about midway through this, he stopped the song. He said, "Tom," I said, "I said what, John?" He said, "Tom, I don't like what you're playing on the guitar play." And I was playing. I was showing him my my passing chords. I was playing up the neck. He said, "Tom." play exactly what I'm playing. I want the, the, the two cards, the guitars doubled, doubled exactly, and there were just like three chords on it. I just, mm. <laughs> so it was my comeuppance. And, um, but I knew, uh, ran into him on several occasions, and Harry Nielsen, I don't know if you know his music, yeah, he's right. a wonderful singer. Oh, great. And, uh, and Harry was a great friend of John Lennon's, and we'd pal around a little bit, but they were just on a... And didn't they, they get were, in trouble one time because uh, they were harassing <laughs> you? Well... Harry Nielsen came to see me somewhere in the, in the 70s, uh, mid-70s, and I was working on a solo. I was working on material, comedy material. My brother was working on some music. So he came out to Washington, D.C. to see me. And it was the first time I performed in quite a while. And I did my act. supposed to be uh, 45 minutes to an hour. And I was finished in 25 minutes. <laughs> my timing was... And I said, oh, uh, is there any questions? And then it turned into a just a hollering uh, thing. And so, anyway, jump ahead two more months, I'm, I'm, we're opening at the Troubadour in Los Angeles, and everybody's there, Paul Newman, the stars. It's our first show in a long time. So Harry brings John Lennon there, and he says, uh, he says to John, he says, you know, Tom Lennon's out of material, so he likes to be heckled. <laughs> oh, my God. It was a most, it turned into just about a riot. And I got flowers the next day and stuff, but it, it turned down near violence. <laughs> but he was trying to help me, but they were so they were so boozed up on on, on brandy and all some other stuff. I don't know, but uh, that was he was helping me. And I'll, I'll tell you this: you talked about when you met Paul McCartney and how you were so nervous. When my friend oh. from Laughlin, Nevada, called me and says, "Hey, you want to talk to Tommy Smothers?" Because they were friends. 
I freaked out. I freaked out because I was such a fan of the Smothers Brothers TV show and their comedy albums. And it was one oh. of the highlights of my career. I loved it. I just loved it, man. Fantastic. Like I'm not a um like I'm not a counter I'm not a counterculture guy. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, but those guys, I mean, they were funny. When they were being funny, they were funny. Oh, they were. And you know what sometimes if you get like the Tommy Smothers, if you get to meet somebody that you looked up to or that you you know appreciated it's really something there's a certain celebrity that comes with being on the radio but even the person on the radio for years when you meet these other people it's like a step up or something i think about you quite often especially during football season because i'm like oh my gosh you know i love those guys out there you know yeah i actually did their in-stadium announcing for one season and then did you really oh yeah i was the in-stadium announcer for Utah State Aggies. I it was right before Kevin Love started playing, and uh, I just really enjoyed it. But you know, like everything, when you use your voice, you don't get paid very well for it. And I decided I don't want to do this nope. and not get paid for it. I've never understood something about radio, where I think prices on stuff in radio are way too negotiable. I think we've been giving it away for so long that it, it may have lost its its worth. Yeah, you know, and I. I, I hope not, Dave. I like that you're doing this podcast and all that. But I want to see you back on the radio, you know, because we're, I quit years ago. You know, after I got fired uh, from that morning show, I didn't feel like traveling around anymore. I didn't feel like moving. And I kind of gave up. And I'm not sure, I'm not saying radio is any worse for it. But the more guys like me that just kind of give up, it, it doesn't bode well for the thing. And like I said, your voice and your knowledge and your appreciation of radio should be on the radio. Like you should literally be like Drew Brees and be able to call your shot when you want to retire. Like this is enough now. Oh man, I appreciate and that. Just just for you for your own and anybody listening is going through that. Get back on there. You know, we're losing we're losing too many people that are talented and, and love the thing. And you wonder why it's going away. That's why it's going away, because they got all of us to give up. You know, when I listen to your voice, anybody who's listening to this, if you're listening to this and doesn't say and don't say that guy sounds great on the radio or on the podcast, well, then just, you know, you should have your ears cut. But you (laughs) you're. I think that's something that if we're going to survive with all the different entertainment options that are out there right now, including what I'm doing right now, podcasting, radio is going to have to find ways to get back into serving their local community and serving the yeah. listeners and doing something that they can't find everywhere else. And that's the cookie cutter approach that a lot of radio stations are going with. You've got to remember that, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. And when you take something away and leave an empty space, there's something's going to crawl into it. What's crawled into it is just nothing. It's just become, well, I can turn on a jukebox anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I can go listen to Pandora and Spotify ad, ad nauseum and never hear anything but music. And if the guys like you and, you know, every, anybody else listening to this that has something to say in an entertaining or engaging way, whether it's in 30 seconds or in three minutes, go do that. And I'm telling you, fight like a dog for it. Mm-hmm. You know, like get out there and say, I have a way of doing this. And here's what I love doing. Well, Dave, I saw the, you know, the, the outpouring, you know, when they let you go. Um, like on Facebook, and I don't go on much, but I saw that, and I saw people's responses to you, you know, and I realized, you know, this guy's played such an important part in these people's lives, and it's it's that way in every town and village in America. 
these people that you listen to on the radio, you feel like you know them. I think that's why radio was always big. We were talking as neighbors to people have it. But I, I, David, I just want to thank you again. And anybody who's listening to this, I'm telling you, David Denton, this guy is one of the best, if not the best. And I, I appreciate him. And I hope you listen and support this podcast because he's that good of a guy and he's that good at what he does. So thanks again. I appreciate it. And you know, for us never having met face to face, I think the same of you, man. I, you, you, you do great work and I appreciate everything you've done for me. Go disco. Easy listening. Country Western. World music. Urban smooth. Salsa fusion. And up next, we'll talk with KT and Carrie Kelly, the married couple who does a morning show in Clovis, New Mexico, and also raising an autistic child. That's next on Radio Guy Reflections. This is Radio Guy Reflections. Too many people in this business who think that they're, uh, I guess it's a podcast, their stuff doesn't stink. You know, it's just like, <laughs> hey, look, we're all just enjoying the game. We're all just having a good time. Sports are supposed to be fun. Don't take yourself too seriously. Let's go have a good time and really uh, paint a great picture for the fans out there. I wanted to be me. I didn't want to put on a show. I, uh, well, you know, I wanted to, obviously a show, but I didn't want to be fake on the air. Um, what you what you get is what you, you know, get. That would be a fascinating career. I, I want to witness history in a way and see it and tell the compelling stories of it. Uh, when did you find out uh, he is autistic? When you get that diagnosis, it's not necessarily a shock to you, but it's validating how you've been feeling. I can't imagine what the future of talk radio has been or would have been had Rush not come along when he did. This is Radio Guy Reflections. Today's guests are a morning team at Mix 1075 in Clovis, New Mexico, a married couple, KT and Carrie Kelly, and welcome to Radio Guy Reflections, guys. Hey, thank, thank you. you. Good to be on. I, I thought it would be kind of interesting first to talk about the two of you. KT, looking back on those years when I was in the hallway and you guys would come out and catch me singing to the songs, kind of embarrassing, but also kind of fun, man. A little bit. I, I do remember that because I was with you. I worked with you a couple different times. VFX, is that correct? It was actually my first job off of like being an intern type thing. So um, very, very green, very new to the business, but uh, a good time. Learned a lot up there. Now, now, Carrie, I don't know you quite as well. I mean, I've, I've talked to you. I've seen you I've, on the Facebook page with you. Let's find out about you. Carrie, where, you, where were you born and raised? I was actually uh, pretty much born and raised in Utah in uh, Salt Lake, mm -hmm. um, West Jordan specifically. I didn't leave the kind of Salt Lake metro area until KT and I got married and we moved up to Logan. So I want to know how you guys met and how was that courtship? Now, KT, let let Carol, uh, Carrie tell that because mm, she'll she'll remember more than you, you know. <laughs> right, and she'll, she, she's just going to shovel the manure right after for y'all. So. <laughs> So uh, we met actually through my brother-in-law, um, now ex-brother-in-law, but uh, KT was actually working for him. He was uh, his supervisor and uh, just kind of, you know, decided, hey, you know, I've got this friend from work and I know you just got out of a relationship. Do you guys want to, like, at least hang out and that kind of thing? And from my end of the thing, I was like, I'm in no mood to be dating anybody. I'm in no mood. Like, let's, I'll be his friend, but... 
And, uh, well, yeah, that changed because, you know, we've been married almost 13 years now. Oh, that is incredible. KT, you've been doing morning radio off and on uh, since you started. But I wanted to know when Carrie decided that she was going to give this this business a try. I actually, um, it was at VFX. Um, KT used to do a, like, evening, uh, Friday night mix show or whatever. And so for weeks on end, I would ask him, hey, you know, do you have anybody that is DJing that? And he's like, no, go ahead. You know, it's kind of that pre-produced show anyways, and you can just kind of do a little bit of a a show if you want. And so that's really when I started uh, trying to put kind of a little bit of a show together. was like, And kind of caught the bug from there and then, you know, worked in the radio station doing anything. I was receptionist doing you know helping out traffic helping out billing just anywhere that i could kind of get my feet wet when i really started doing on air full-time i started doing it as the news reporter um actually for the same station that we're on right now mix 107.5 worked my way in with their morning show and then basically have been doing mornings for the most part of uh, my career as well i did listen to a little bit of your show this morning you know, you sounded great. Uh, I wanted to play a little bit of a clip this morning that I, I and that you were talking about birthdays, and it went from the the model actor Fabio, and it morphed into a discussion about a circus. And here's that clip. Old, and we don't do the morning show anymore. We're going to go on the circus tour together. Uh, no, no. You don't think? No, you have fun with that. <laughs> okay. Good luck. I'll be praying for you. <laughs> okay. Carrie, you're afraid of clowns? When I was really young, my sisters were babysitting me, and they let me watch the movie It. (laughs) And uh, ever since then, I've not been able to be okay with clowns. (laughs) Every time we pass by McDonald's, she goes into a fetal position. I do. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk a little bit before we get into the radio show. I know you guys have a child. He is four going on 37. (laughs) Or that's his attitude anyways. He is four. And and since we're friends on Facebook, uh, I have really enjoyed over the last little while, you're showing videos and pictures. And what's the little boy's name again? His name is Nash. Okay, Nash. As in Nash Rambler, I suppose. Uh, I've enjoyed watching him bowling. I mean, it is so much fun to watch this young boy as he gets to the ball. And I think there was one where KT was helping him learn how to throw the ball and the joy that comes in his face, and he's jumping around. To me, that's what Facebook is for. I love that kind of video, and I thank you for sharing that. It, it was awesome. I appreciate that you enjoy the videos. I know sometimes as a parent, you know, I want to post everything I can about him and, and whatnot. And so I appreciate that uh, you're enjoying those videos because, man, he is a bowler. Yeah. I tell you what. <laughs> now, Nash has a, a, a medical issue that I, I, I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, when did you find out uh, he is autistic? We found out um, about a month and a half before his third birthday. Mm-hmm. Were there telltale signs that you could you could tell us about that might be help another parent? There were, um, and and you know when we got the diagnosis, and and anybody that's gone through autism can probably tell you the same thing, or a, a medical diagnosis that you've had suspicions. When you get that diagnosis, it's not necessarily a shock to you, but it's validating how you've been feeling mm-hmm. um, because there are, you know, for Nash specifically, you know, he, he crawled late. 
Um, he walked late. His motor skills were behind. Um, there was a lot of food aversions that we were noticing. There was he had a different pitch in his cry. I was going to say, even a distinct cry, I was going to say that. Mm -hmm. um, it just sounded different than other kids that you hear around the same age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so really about, I mean, honestly, from about six months on, I started noticing just these little kind of telltale signs that something was just a little different. Mm -hmm. I can see the joy in your face when you're with these videos about how important that young man is to you personally, and I think that's just incredible. He is. I mean, you know, the, the first thing that goes through my mind is I just, I'm, I, I'm trying to help. I don't know how to help him, and I want to be able to help him through, you know, each day. You know, then you go into father mode. It's like, you know, he, it's hard enough to go through and, and, and do and feel like you're being a good father and taking care of what you need to um, without having that kind of um, disability, I guess. And so, that goes through my mind, but then, you know, I'm right back into it. He, As you see, he's attached to bowling, and, I mean, the kids are rolling 100-plus games now at four wow. and a half years old. Wow. Yeah, with no bumpers. And so he's obviously found something that he knows and loves and has gravitated toward, and, and I think God, you know, blessed him with that so that maybe he may not be good at some other things, but he can make a, a living at that or do something with that. And mm -hmm. so there's always something – behind, uh, you know, that, that God has in mind for somebody. Uh, that is true. So, Carrie, as as the mother of an autistic child, uh, there are certain things that uh, come to my mind that I, I would like to talk to you about, whether it's, uh, you know, one of those cliches or not, they're more the caregivers. Uh, how difficult yeah. has it been for you personally, uh, maybe not even difficult at all, to give that extra care that he deserves? You know, and you've hit me on the week that we are still struggling through that um, because there are weeks on end um, where you're so consumed by it, raising a toddler is hard enough, mm -hmm. and raising a toddler with special needs is even harder. Things that you necessarily wouldn't think of, a four-year-old, a neurotypical four-year-old, you're not going to have to keep locks on the front door that are out of his reach because they typically probably wouldn't gravitate towards running into the street or gravitating towards water. Well, autistics do. And so it's those little things that you constantly have to be thinking of, you know, even to take a run to the bathroom really quick. I constantly am in my mind thinking, okay, stable. He's, you know, either eating a snack or with his tablet or there's something occupying his mind so that I can have these four little seconds that I can run in and mm. use the restroom really quick without worrying that he's going to take a bolt out to the street. It's it's incredible what you guys are going through, and I, I can hear it in both of your voices right now, how much you care not only about Nash, but I hear how much you care about each other when you're on the air. And uh, and when this became a morning team as, as a husband and wife team, there's got to be special considerations about how you're going to handle uh, time off, how you're going to – handle illnesses. Uh, was this kind of the discussion that you had with the management when this was all decided? Yeah, and, and you know, we're, we're extremely blessed to have an owner and management that puts family first, and that was always his philosophy. I mean, we've worked for him twice now, and um, that has always been his philosophy is that family first. And, you know, we all come to do our jobs. We all do our work, but family first. And so we've been blessed, you know, if there are mornings that 
Nash is having a rougher morning and needs mommy because my mom watches him while we're here doing the show. And so there's some mornings that I have to kind of take off. And so we've been able to, you know, KT can take the lead and, you know, kind of keep the show running until I can get back, you know. And, and we've been extremely blessed to have a owner that has allowed us to do these kinds of things. Well, I, I like what you guys were uh, doing this morning when I was listening in because it's bright, it's up-tempo, but I, I think the thing that I think sets a morning radio team apart is being real. And I could tell that you guys were talking with each other, you were jiving with each other, you were insulting each other a little bit at times, but it was all done with that tongue-in-cheek, like it was real. And that's that's one of the things I think sometimes radio, especially morning teams, forget is about being real and telling that story like you told about the circus and i laughed out loud when you said to kt uh i'll be praying for you that was that was so funny i don't know if it was something 20 years ago that was even in radio or thought of but that's i don't know what i gravitated toward when i first came into the business it's just i wanted to be me i didn't want to put on a show well you know i wanted to obviously a show but i didn't want to be fake on the air um, what you what you get is what you get. I think it's worked for me. You know, I, I've been I've had a pretty successful career, and um, you know, not to boast or be egotistical or anything, but I've I've done pretty good. And I don't know. I think it was just kind of being myself. And Carrie's always been that way. <laughs> yeah. I want my heart on you, so. Yeah. So I think when we got put together, and gosh, it's only been what two years now. Yeah. Really, we've only had a morning show two years, um, Dave, and so and. If you had asked me, you know, three years ago, I always said I didn't want to do mornings. I didn't want to do mornings. I just, I liked being an afternoon guy, but I enjoy it. I, it's, it's a different, it's a different beast, and it's something I'm still learning every day, but I really enjoy doing the show, especially with Carrie, with my wife. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, when I started and I was in high school, I remember telling people, I'll never do morning radio. Well, within two years, I'm doing morning radio in Rexburg, Idaho. And I think I was doing it all the way until the very end of my career back in January. There are certain positives about being that morning radio personality. I hate the word disc jockey, uh, but yeah. that that morning announcer that I think mornings gives an announcer more of an opportunity to be real. And, you know, I always tell people when they're learning about doing radio, you got to learn how to tell the story not only of the song, but you're telling the radio story of the radio station. You're telling the ra- the story of, uh, you know, the advertisers. You're telling the story of the music. And you're putting on a, a program that makes people smile and know that life is going to go on. Ooh, that is... <laughs> we actually left where we are now. We, we left um, prior to the pandemic to take an opportunity in southern Utah for a, a bigger... Um, you know, a bigger market. Once to have the ability to do mornings together, and so we were able to team yep. up and, and do our morning show together. Mm-hmm. Um, so we took that opportunity, and then, gosh, what, eight months into it, maybe something like that? No, it was just shy of a year, actually. Okay. We were about a few weeks just shy of the year point that we had been with that company. And then uh, COVID hit. COVID hit at that point. So we started riding, you know, we rode the month or two out, started looking like it was something might happen, and Obviously, you hope it doesn't, and you're expecting it not, but when, you know, you get pulled in and HR is sitting there, and you're like, oh, well, here we go. So <laughs> we, uh, we got laid off um, from that position and from that show. Um, 
which is interesting because you know, as you as you're hearing, we're a morning team. We're our income is linked together. We both got laid off at the same time, obviously, oh. and our insurance was you know going to be ending at that month. We have an autistic child who has eye issues as well and has a lot of medical uh, needs, and so the first thought that runs through your mind is, oh, what do we do? What do we do? We have no income. I mean, you know, you've got unemployment and that kind of thing, but, uh, you know, you really realize how am I going to take care of our family now? And it worked out that you went back to to Clovis, New Mexico shortly thereafter? As I'm sitting there, I'm wondering, you know, do I do radio anymore? Is this the end of the line? Because it's we had so many of our friends had been laid off, too. Mm-hmm. COVID just rampaged radio like crazy. Just there was no reason for anybody to advertise. They're, they're just, now I'm starting to wonder, what do I do? And we, I started looking at other opportunities, maybe opening a, a business up. You know, I'm into cars and doing detailing on classic cars and stuff like that. And I mean, we were literally, it was a, the final week of our unemployment kicking in, and, and then Duffy calls us from here to, to come back to Clovis. So, um Stars aligned on that one, and we were blessed to, to get that call to come back. I'm going to give you guys the opportunity to tell us what is great about Clovis, New Mexico. Well, it's um, we're actually on the eastern part of the state, and so if you've ever been to, like, Lubbock, Texas, you know, West Texas, Amarillo, um, it is basically that. It is flat. Um, it is dry and a little bit of humid. It kind of depends. It's the weirdest thing because you can have weeks where you're – it is so dry, and then weeks where it is so humid and it rains every day. As far as aesthetically, probably not the prettiest place in the world to live. <laughs> it, but it's how you look at it. I mean, it, I think it's beautiful. Pretty to me is a flat farmland with wind, windmills in the background. You can see an old farm, uh, you know, barn and stuff back there. That's Clovis. And the history in this town, too. And you're going to appreciate this, Dave, is that this is the recording where Buddy Holly came and recorded. The day the music died, all four of those guys came through and, and recorded in our town. In fact, it's four blocks up the road from our studio here. So um, we've got the Rock and Roll Museum here in town, which is it's just really, really cool. Uh, how do you prepare uh, every day? Do you, have, do you have benchmarks that you... Uh, I'll let Carrie kind of start off, but uh, she does quite a bit on her side. Yeah, I mean, we've got a few, like, key, you know, on Wednesdays we play games, and, you know, on Thursdays KT does his terrible joke. But for the majority of it, you know, I like to keep up on what's happening in the world, and so we do each morning, each night before I go to bed, and in the morning there, you know, before the show, I'm looking at all the different sites to kind of figure out, you know, maybe what's trending, what's what's happened overnight. And then as far as things that we talk about, you know, KT's seeing something as he's scrolling social media. We have a little messenger chat in our Facebook pages that we'll just send stories and uh, kind of weed them out. Each one we want to talk about that morning or, you know, kind of which way we want to go. Obviously, if there's something happened personally, love talking about that, sharing stuff with Nash and that kind of thing. You know, I think that's so important that people find out that they they become your friends, even though you don't ever that uh, somebody gets very comfortable by by hearing your personal stories without you know getting. When you talk about your child, Nash, I'm sure that that's when you get a lot of responses. Oh, we we go to Walmart. He's he's way more popular than we are. He is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get people coming like, oh, I heard about you, Nash, and they're talking to him, and he's like, what? 
it's awesome having those friends. And that's, you know, that's when I started this business. I just wanted to, I was hoping it would get to that point. I have relationships with, with listeners like that. Now, being a, uh, a a morning team that is married, that you talked a little bit about, how do you go on the on the radio if you've had a little tiff, you know, the night before, <laughs> or a little disagreement? Uh, we we've had it where it's been thirty seconds or ten seconds before the song ends, and we're supposed to go on and do something, and we did disagree <laughs> to the point where we didn't. Really- there has been there has been times where when we are not on the radio talking with each other, we've not talked to each other in the studio, and then we go after the show all day not talking. Yeah. And so yeah, that is a little bit difficult, but you, it's almost like flipping a switch. Like you know, whatever is going on personally is stuff that one you don't want aired out on the radio, right. and so you know the listeners don't care if you're having a bad day. You're there to cheer them up, and so none of that matters. And so it almost needs that switch to be flipped and fortunately even when we're mad at each other we've been able to communicate with each other and so when we're on the radio I think there's that mutual respect for each other that we know we've got to get through this and it's our job to make sure the listeners aren't going what in the world is wrong with those two I just make sure I have a a really large shoe fund for her (laughs) (laughs) so how many pairs of shoes do you have I've gotten less and less um, as Nash has gotten older, I've gotten a little bit more obsessed with buying him shoes than I have myself. So, because those shoes are so cute. Oh my gosh, the little guy's shoes are so dang cute. Um, I don't know, I've maybe got 30 pairs at max. Double that, day. <laughs> <laughs> but how much car stuff do you have? I mean... Dude, I, I have parts for cars I don't even have. That's true. I have, I, I have a pair of doors for a 55 Chevy, I don't even have the car anymore, so... <laughs> Who are the big artists that you guys play? You know, we've got, like, uh, Bruno Mars. You know, obviously, we play, like, the really, really new stuff, all the new artists. But kind of the core artists are, you know, Adele and Bruno Mars and Ed Sheeran, that kind of thing. Justin Timberlake. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Justin Bieber. <laughs> still? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's you know, still. He's researched, man. He uh, He's stopped peeing on the side of walls. <laughs> so that's, ask you something about pop music uh today do they still sample a lot of older songs you get that a little bit it's nothing like it used to be i mean mm-hmm. in the 90s early 2000s it was every song it seemed like every song they were you know sampling something out of the 50s 60s 70s something now you're you're getting a little bit you know maybe one or two songs out of every 20 or that way a lot of unique sounds are coming out like they're trying to they're trying to make their own and mold their own sound Bruno Mars, I think he does something similar to people think that he's sampling, but you know he's very seventies sounding, very Motown. Mm-hmm. And so, so you know when you mention people like Bruno Mars and Pitbull, I got to say, I'm kind of a fan of both of those. I, I like their sound, so I, I'm not that old that I can't appreciate some of the newer music, but some of it I kind of go, okay, you know, it's not. Yeah, hip hop, hip hop has changed. It's, it, it, I don't know, I, and it, maybe it's just when I was growing up. Things are different when you're growing up. You accept it more, but it just seemed like it wasn't as nasty, I guess, yeah. as what yeah. they're doing now. That's always kind of had an edge to it, but it just seems like now it's just it's gone over the edge. It's gone over the line. It's- I'm always interested in seeing what a radio station does in a smaller market and how they become 
part of the community. What kind of things is your radio group or stations doing to become part of your community in New Mexico? I mean, our, our owners, so they bought uh, this group of radio stations. They own four total, and uh, they bought it in 2002. And so they've worked really hard to make sure that our group of radio stations are the known ones. You know, if, if the city needs an event or is doing an event, we're the stations they team up with. A few weeks ago we had um, a pretty big, you know, weather thing going on, and it affected, you know, with power grid and having the streetlights go out. So we had the police chief over here uh, on the radio with us. We've, they've worked really hard as a company to um, make sure that we are the community station as far as getting information out, being entertaining. We have content. You know, we're not just playing the music. We are providing an entirety of services for the community. I'm sorry, I was going to say a lot of it, I was going to follow up a lot of it, too, that we do and we found works is, you know, it's not just sitting in the studio for four hours. It's taking folks into your home. You know, we do. I do a segment at home where I'm trying to learn how to cook, and it's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> and terrible. He doesn't do a great job at it, but he, God bless him, he tries. Yeah, but we're on Facebook Live with that, so I think a lot of it is, more, especially now, people want, like we were talking about when we first started talking, how real you are on the air. People want that and maybe bring you in, bring them into your home. You know, bring them into, uh, if you're road tripping somewhere, you just fire up Facebook Live. And it, it's made it really interesting and cool that way and changed radio. Technology has really helped. It's hurt in some ways because you can stream stations from everywhere. People can get their music anywhere they want to instantly. But mm -hmm. if you can bring content and something that they want to watch, they're still going to come back to you. You say something of, about each other. What? What is great? KT, I want to ask you first, what is great about your wife? First and foremost is she's patient with me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's just my idiotic, idiotic thoughts and everything. Um, but she's a fantastic mother. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how she does it every day. She does. Uh, not only does that, she juggles that, his schooling, his gym, all the side of events that he does. And really Nash himself, and so because he he's a tough kid, um, and so I just look at her and, and how she how she does that every day. I don't know. I, I don't know how she does it. It's uh, it's just it's amazing to me. And so I think she's just uh, just an amazing woman and an amazing mom. You almost brought a tear to my eye, honestly. Now, Gary, let, let's let's flip the switch. What do you think is great about KT? Well, I mean, he makes a mean bowl of popcorn, so yeah. that right there. No. <laughs> But, uh, no, all kidding aside, and no, he really does. The popcorn is fantastic. I've never had anything like it. But we've had our tiffs throughout the years, and I think in every marriage you do. But at the end of the day, he is always there. How he is with Nash, and, and Nash is frustrating. And, you know, being a parent is hard and whatnot. But the, the way that he can take Nash from who might be having a meltdown or might be starting to have a meltdown and – go from that within seconds to he's on the floor giggling with him and they're laughing their heads off. I, I there's, there's a level of love that I thought I had prior to having a kid. And then after seeing him be a father, it's just, I mean, I, it's, it's almost more than I can express that how much love I have and how good of a father he is and, and been taking care of me and Nash as a whole. Thank you. Thank you, that. And congratulations on this new venture, man. What, yeah. a, what, what a cool thing and exciting. I, I'm, uh, I'm almost jealous in a way that you're able to kind of 
tackle that in, the, in a new chapter. That's very cool. And that's Radio Guy Reflections, a podcast about radio and the people behind the microphone. In future podcasts, we'll look at what makes us successful and sometimes a train wreck of a radio show. As we say in the radio business, if you put that on the radio, people will listen to it. We'll talk with people who started in radio and moved on to success in other fields. Radio Guy Reflections will be back soon with another show about radio and the men and women who produce the radio programs you've loved to listen to. Radio Guy Reflections is a production of Dave's Voice Works.